0: From the visionary minds of the guys who brought you the hit series, Reboot, comes Movies We Were Way Too Young to See. A podcast series that is exactly what it sounds like.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to Movies We Were Way Too Young To See. A look at some of the most influential films we grew up watching, regardless of parental approval. I am your co-host Mowgli and sitting next to me, as always, the man, the myth, the mouth.
0: Welcome everybody. Thank you guys for showing up again.
1: We just want to say thank you everyone again for listening to our Little Nikki episode. We got a lot of fun feedback. You notice we had a little bit of a new intro there. We're stepping our game up right there. Yeah. (laughs) Just wanted to do a little quick email recap. Uh, Shout out to Dave. Dave is emailing us. He really liked the show. And he just listed his top five Sandler films. So before we get started, let's just go ahead and list them real quick. So number one, he had Little Nicky as his number one. Number two was Waterboy. Three was Click. Four, Big Daddy. Five, Do Over.
0: That I'm giving it to Dave. Props for being a new Adam Sandler, but... I guess like me, where I pick Jack and Jill, we all just love Sam differently. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. Well, without further ado, it's time to get into the movie we were way too young to see for the week. One that had a deep impact on our adolescence, and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the 1972 cult hit, A Clockwork Orange.
0: Come and get one in the yarbles, If you have any yarbles. Your eunuch
1: jelly thou! So oh, good! It's wow. such a
0: classic movie. Yeah, that's, love it.
1: Well, that that that's intro. That's all mm-hmm. we needed from that. And and, and we can I, you want to talk about that right now too? Then that Just iconic that,
0: that, score, guys. That, that
1: theme song. So the way we interacted with it too was yes, we were inspired by it from the movie. But growing up, we listened to a lot of punk rock, and there was a very influential punk rock group from the UK mm-hmm. called the Addicts, and You know, their whole image was based off of these droogs in A Clockwork Orange, and that's how they started each show, with with that theme song. The logline, let's go ahead and do that. In the future, a sadistic gang leader is imprisoned and volunteers for a conduct aversion experiment. But it doesn't go as planned. No, it
0: doesn't. Nope. (laughs) And that log line doesn't even represent what the movie is. It gives you, it's so So vague. vague. Yeah. Exactly, right? (laughs) Jinx.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, this film came out in, you know, 71, 72. It was a rated X, which was just crazy at the time. It was a crime, drama, sci fi film. It was written and directed by the legend, Stanley Kubrick. God. Film God,
0: guys. If you guys don't know.
1: Now you know. Now you know. This dude was literally a genius. He has like a 200
0: IQ. Play wow. chess on every set before the Queen's Gambit.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 man. And I think another reason why we're doing this, too, is because the anniversary is coming up. This was released, at least in the U.S., on February 2nd, 1972.
0: The reason why we're talking about this, how influential is this movie? After 50 years, like Mowgli said, we're still talking about this. Bands that we liked were influenced. Art is influenced by it. I'm, i seen a Funko
1: it's yeah, all influence yeah. because you of... Know, you know, you know like it's, it's really big in pop culture when Funko, Funko does, gets does it, it, you
0: know? So even the themes are relevant today and that's why we're talking about it. That's why it's still alive. I think it was recently put into the Congressional Film Institute, again, for being culturally significant. Welly, 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 welly well. Yeah, we're just going to go into how much we love this movie at the time, how much it's changed a bit uh, after our reviewing.
1: Definitely, I'm not the same person watching it the first time that I am now. And I don't think you should be. Yeah.
0: <laughs> one more well, thing before
1: we mention this. This was actually a book. This was a mm-hmm. book written by Anthony Burgess. Did you read the book?
0: No, I didn't. didn't. <laughs> I didn't need to. You know why? Why? Because this is one of Stanley Kubrick's movies most faithfully adapted to the book. So. Well, honestly, I'll take your word for it because I haven't read it
1: either. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's so good on its own, guys. It makes you want to read the book. I'll say that, right? Sure.
1: Yeah, I I would yeah. agree. I would agree. Okay, uh first things first. Who did you see this movie with? What's your first memory?
0: Okay, man. I was so young. I was right there in my formative middle school years, eleven to thirteen. I have two faint memories. One is cause it ends it starts with a lot of them is me at the library. Uh shout out to the Redondo Beach library system. Yo, just remember, having
1: fun isn't hard when you got a <laughs> library card. Having fun isn't hard when you got a library card. Shout out to Arthur. <laughs> Where my PBS kids at?
0: <laughs> but yeah, so it always melds with that. But this movie was definitely a group-like movie to watch with. And we were talking about him earlier. Dave, he is one of the persons, one of my childhood friends that I remember going to his house and watching that movie with.
1: Yeah, Dave was the first dude that I knew who had the movie. Mm, he had, yeah. Because everyone else was renting it from the library. I have a similar thing. I This was our freshman year in high school, and we were in French club. Remember when we used to go to French yeah. club and we weren't even in French class? And we didn't even know French. We, we didn't even, even know, know French. French. We just went, we just like, yeah, let's go to French club. Yeah. And I forgot who brought it up. Someone brought up, uh, yeah, let's watch A Clockwork Orange. And I was like, what's that? And, like the name just stood out to me. It's was like, Orange Clockwork? It's like, no, it's this crazy film about this like gang of hoodlums and they get into crazy shit. And I was like, oh, really? That sounds interesting. So, I'm a
0: hoodlum and I want to get into shit.
1: I want to do hoodrat <laughs> stuff too. Yes, but I wanted to do hoodrat stuff for my friend. So, yeah, dude, uh, basically, Alex and his drugs, played by Malcolm McDowell, who freaking is still putting in work today. Yeah.
0: Um, Sam Loomis.
1: Yeah. He, well, there's a a one version of movie. Sam Loomis. He was also in Fallout. He was the voice, President John Henry Francis, or Eden, I forgot his name. You know, Alex was a hood rat. He was just a hood, yeah. hood rat in a different era, in like a <laughs> dystopian universe, you know? He smoked with cigarettes. And he smokes with cigarettes.
0: He did it all. He did it all, man. He drank that synthetic milk. Love for babies.
1: He, he drove. He stole the Durango 95.
0: <laughs> the Durango 95 purred away real horror show.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was my first experience with it. And I think the first time I actually saw the movie in its entirety was our senior year when we saw it in the study of film class.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that, that was definitely my first time for sure probably analyzing it during that film class. But... Yeah, like you said, it's a different viewing now than it was back then. And you say you should change as a person. I say I kind of change because I still like the beginning of the movie, but I really do like the ending of the movie.
1: Well, let's talk about that now. What scenes stick out to you the most? Okay, so let's
0: go right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah.
1: For me personally, that whole... First half, I, I think this movie is split up into kind of three parts, and that first introduction of, of Alex and his ruffian just doing whatever they want. Fun to do bad things. It kind of concludes for me when I watch it. That final scene, it's like a, a Alex has just skipped class and he goes to the record store, oh, and he yeah. has that fast forward three way mm-hmm. with those two ladies, which is fucking sick, by the way. Like I, I love the way that was shot, <laughs> yeah. just in fast forward and that classical music playing in the background. And I feel like after that happens, like the tone changes in the mm-hmm. film. But that first
0: half really drew me in because I was... Yeah, let's stick on that. For, yeah, the first half is it's visceral. Like you were saying, you get into it because I was listing things down while I was watching it. In the first 13 minute, guys, there's like four major acts of violence, you know? and as- Attempted rape. Attempted rape, uh, attempted murder, uh, home invasion. <laughs> you know, there's all of this is within the first 15 minutes of the movie and they're very impactful. And coming from a film eye, it's like, Yeah, that you need this movie to be all that. You need to have all that shock and value and violence, the ultra-violence at the beginning. Ultra-violence. To just... Understand the world and the character that, that it, it was in.
1: more hooking you in. That's what it did mm. immediately. It was like a hit of crack or something. Like, yeah, bam! It was like, oh fuck! I know what I'm getting into right now, and it, it just hits, like that. That. It yeah, hits you like, like that.
0: Yeah, i like that. Yeah, you know, cocaine is a hell of a drug. So one of the infamous scenes from that first twenty minutes, that first little piece we're talking about, is
1: attempted rape scene we're talking about where Alex and his drugs mm. they just get out of their you know their milk bar. Those tables were crazy by the way. There's just oh, a bunch yeah. of naked women standing like crab walking. Uh, That always stuck out to me too. But, anyways, Alex and the boys, they meet another gang. His name is Billy Boy.
0: (laughs) They were getting ready to perform a little of the old in-out, in-out on a weepy young divorce that they had there.
1: And our homeboy, our other homeboy, David, Mm. like that was one of his famous quotes.
0: Yeah, he would say this all the time. Come and get one in the yarbles. Come and get one in the yarbles. If you have any yarbles, your eunuch jelly, thou. So
1: so that if was just always, yobbles. if you have any yobbles, that was always just imprinted in our brains and just that fight between them. So you think these guys are going to be good because
0: yeah. they, well, just, still,
1: they, they just stopped some, some poor woman from, from getting, getting raped, assaulted. Yeah. Getting
0: raped. You know, this is a very, just giving you guys a heads up if you've never seen this movie. This is a hard movie if you've never seen or aren't comfortable with scenes of violent attempted rape. Beatings, you know, this is a very harsh movie, and I think what Mowgli was saying earlier, like, yeah, I see that now. You need that in the first fifteen minutes to get you into everything else. Whatever
1: whatever emotion it evokes in you is still an emotion. And that's what Kubrick was trying to bring out. That's yes, the you film can film God. You can be upset, you can be intrigued, you're still drawn to it.
0: And that's good and, filmmaking. And there's
1: nothing wrong with that. It just you know, it's it's your ethics.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. And getting into your ethics. So with this scene, it does like a little switcheroo. So you already know Alex and his group are little fuckboys and you know criminals. They go into the room with their rival gang and they see that they're actually in attempt of raping a girl. She's already naked. She's trying to run. They're forcefully holding her, you know, doing all these things to her and they stop them. Alex and his group stop them by, you know, starting a fight. And at first you think like you said, wow, these are some really good guys like even they just stopped a rape by by brutally beating up the gang members, but quickly right after that, psych. Yeah, psych. Kubrick's changes up like nah.
1: They come in to another house and then they break in, and now Alex and his boys are raping another. You know, defenseless woman, mm-hmm. while her husband is just watching, in just, he can't do anything about it. And the most scaring and traumatizing part about this is they're singing, or at least Alex is, he's mm-hmm. singing that song, Singing in the Rain. I'm
0: singing in the rain.
1: While he's doing all these horrendous acts. And, you know, it's just that juxtaposition, because we get into classical music as well. Where Alex is a real big fan of classical music, Beethoven, and then you have Singing in the Rain, like th- th- these are often like stimulating and highbrow kind of energy, and it's usually like considered more of an elite culture. But when you juxtapose that with the vulgarity and just like the lack of class that these drugs have, it's just like whoa, dude! This kind of imagery and filmmaking. Where you have something like a classical form of music and then you have like another image. Like I remember being a three-year-old or like a five-year-old actually. I remember being five and listening to like Fur Elise and in my mind I had people getting shot and killed like before I even saw this movie. So that's why that really stuck out to me too like throughout this whole film. I'm like, yo, the way he's playing with classical music and he's doing it like that and he has all these violent images. It's like, yo, I have that same fucking Mm -hmm. thing too. I'm glad I'm not crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. I agree with you, like, fully. I fully do agree with that. And Kubrick was known with audio. One of my favorite quotes that I learned in film school was that film is 50% what you see and 50% of what you hear. You know, and especially with the music, with classical music. We were talking about this off the air, but the use of it, too, it's... I think it helps. Mowgli was saying it helps stimulate the mind, you know, because the no words. You just... The feeling, that's what he's doing. That's what good filmmaking does is make you feel what you're watching. It doesn't necessarily have to just completely teach you, but you have to go through these motions because at the, while we were young, I didn't question it. I liked the violence. I was like, fuck yeah, do yeah. that shit. Do that shit now. You know, like do whatever you, you know, it doesn't matter. But when I had to rewatch it for, for today, I'm just like, damn, some stuff I'm like, I could, I could do with, but some is like too much. You know, like there's just too much of,
1: Yeah, I agree. They were were scumbags, and we were idolizing them. (laughs) We were idolizing juveniles, mischiefs, mayhem, assault, and uh, really I didn't know any better.
0: Yeah, you know, that's why this movie was way too young for us to see because Kubrick, a genius, is like telling us what not to do, but we are subconsciously doing it because we are so young. We're impressionable. We truly didn't really pay attention. Vicarious living, basically. Mm -hmm. That's what it was.
1: Another thing, too. Is, okay, so there's a lot of dicks, and there's a lot of you know, naked women, and there's a lot of breasts and vagina. Is this film more of a phallic film or a yonic film, it, the imagery at least? And, and for those who don't know, yonic is basically the opposite of phallic. Phallic is just like uh, erect penises and stuff like that. Yonic is the female equivalent of that.
0: Mugley was directing that to me, but I, I kind of knew what it meant. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say I, I find this way more of a phallic film, obviously. Well, not obviously, obviously. But there are things when I think of phallic, like phallic is a hard symbol. It has so many connotations and people have precon, you know, notions about it. You know, being aggressive is one of them. Being strong, being independent, being crazy would be, you know, like showing your power. And I see that more.
1: That's what you associate with, with the That's male what, genitalia. That, yeah.
0: And I see those actions in those in this movie and with the symbols and actual Things looking like penises that aren't penises, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I agree. There's a lot of just statues, there's a lot of defacement. Remember in Alex's apartment, that whole mural, they just everyone has a giant dick like drawn on them. Just dicks, 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 dicks. You know how many foods are shaped like dicks? The best kinds. And um it's a masculinity. One, one thing one thing that you said too that you you would consider it a more phallic film, you were mentioning it is the lack of respect that the women have in this Mm -hmm. film. So that's why you think it's more phallic. Oh yeah.
0: The women, there are no powerful women in this pretty much a lot of the women, except for one puts up a fight in any of these violent situations. So that's why I don't see it as the opposite of being a phallic film. I see it more. It's a male gaze still on it's a male's perspective on society and how he acts in the society, how he treats others, especially women. They're the only woman in this, surprisingly, that put in any fight was the older cat lady. You know, there's an older cat lady they were trying to home invade. You know, this is getting towards closer to the, the pussy lady. The pussy lady. Yeah, you know? And like that scene also had the most phallic symbols, you know? So maybe that's like he kind he of killed a. killed her with a dick. He kills her with the dick, you know? So maybe like that's a battle between it, but who wins? The dick wins. The dick is posturing over her, you know?
1: Another thing, too, when you mention that, let's mention their outfits. Because mm. they have like a like a cast a around piece, their yeah, yeah. It, it's like a giant cup almost around their their like a, their crotch. So I would probably agree with you there, where I think the there's both you know phallic and yonic, but it, it's definitely leaning more towards a phallic because it's that perspective and
0: you know they're the kinds of ones yeah the male toxicity coming in this you yeah. know just boom and that well bringing that up what you just said about um. The costume? Yeah, yeah, the costume. All right, yeah, that's what it was. So the costume is actually a cricket junk piece to keep it. You're supposed to wear that under your uniform. So Malcolm McDowell was a fan of cricket and showed Stanley Kubrick this. And Stanley Kubrick was like, I think you should wear those outside of your pants. It'd be more, you know. More jarring, more mm -hmm. noticing, more big dick energy. Yeah, straight up, and that's what it is. This whole movie is like Alex and his friends trying to show off that big dick energy, you know, like that flex yeah it just doesn't work after the first 30 minutes of the movies because things start to change up
1: let's go ahead and get to the second half of the film then after that woman was murdered it kind of shifts the tone we have i guess a gentleman named mr deltoid who you know when i rewatch this he reminds me of tim curry so much doesn't he Uh, can you see it um Like he's like the truant officer before Alex gets sent away to prison. A little
0: bit, I feel I felt like that fool was in something kind of like Matilda ish. He, he, his energy
1: and just like the way he looks, it just reminds me of Tim Curry. I was like, oh yeah, I love Tim Curry. (laughs) He scared the shit out of me as Pennywise. Right. Yeah, the the tone shifts when he's in prison, dude. He's uh he's reading the Bible. He still hasn't really changed though because he's fantasizing when he's reading it. He's fantasizing himself whipping Jesus and he's fantasizing like being with the women. I was like, "Damn, this motherfucker is still right here reading the Bible, and like, he hasn't learned shit."
0: He hasn't, and he's using—he's only reading the Bible to make his time lesser. He's trying to find an angle to it. He's like, and the first time too is finding an angle working within the with the religious part with of the priest. church, you know, to like kind of stay away from the other prisoners. Because there's one short scene where he's at prison mass, yeah. and he's <laughs> he's on the overhead helping the priest. But then there are these two other convicts in his eye view and they're giving him straight fuck me eyes like they're going to fuck the shit out like, of like, with his tongue. He was sticking yeah. his tongue
1: out like, hey, baby, yeah. hey, fuck me, Alex, or I want to bang you. Yeah. Guys.
0: And like the guard sees it, but he can't do anything because they're in church, first of all, because he doesn't want to break up what's happening at the church. Yeah. But yeah, he, he, even though these things are happening to him, he's still trying to find a weasel way out. A weasel way to escape.
1: And- this is just so random, though, but when I was watching it, I did kind of compare it to Sarah Connor in Terminator 2. When she is in the mental institution, she's just saying all the things that they want her to believe, mm-hmm. like the, the 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 doctors and everything. But deep down, she still believes the Terminator is coming and she's doing all that. I felt the same way with Alex. He's just saying all this religious mumbo-jumbo to please all these people, yeah. but he's still was that hoodlum. He still loved violence. He still loved naked women.
0: Yeah, he still so a hoodlum, hustler, criminal, you know, and it's not until he hears this random piece of info from jail of a secret therapy project that, or a secret program that can get you out of jail earlier, you know? So then that's where his other grift turns into. He's like, how do I get myself there now, you know? like And that, that's the next thing that we're
1: going to talk about right here then. So Alex goes through the experiment And the experiment is basically they inject him with something that makes him really sick and they force him to watch all of these violent acts and um, like these violent sexual assaults.
0: It's like a super futuristic like aversion therapy, like to the max, you know, so they keep his eyes open so he doesn't even close them while watching or seeing brutal images.
1: So in the film, that technique is called the Ludovico technique. And basically they're just trying to condition him to whenever... He sees something like that or whenever he has thoughts like that or whenever he's like in a situation like that, he will get sick, which it really is ethically not the right thing you should do. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. Man, you know, regardless if you're a man or a woman, but just man needs to be able to experience both good and evil. That's part of his journey in life, I feel. And it's up to him to make that right judgment call.
0: Find that for himself. Yes. You know, where to, your limits are, you know. He
1: needs to know what his own moral compass is. And the fact that they're doing this, they're taking that away from him. It's like, yo, he can't make any decision. He can't even defend himself. Like yeah. you see later on when he gets released, the hobo who they beat up, even his old droogs who beat him up too, now they're police officers. Yeah. Like he can't do anything about
0: that. He's completely averted to any type of ultraviolence. Even if it means saving his life, he can't do it. You yeah. Know? And that, that's perfect. That's what I feel like. One of the themes are, you know, being in the society trying to act or being t- told to act a certain way when you're not, you know, it should be up to each person. Like, I'm not saying every person who wants to kill go out there and kill. It's like, no, those are... They're, no, they're consequences, <laughs> bro. You know, there are consequences. And at the beginning, our characters doesn't see any, but in this little tonal shift of the movie, when he finally gets reprimanded for something he actually didn't, did do, you know, he finally gets caught for something he... Didn't really do. No, he killed her. But he did. But like, he was always had, he committed these crimes before. What am I trying to say? Like, you know, he fought like his he karma kind of, caught up to him. Yeah. That's what this, happened with this specific crime. Cause he's done these crimes over and over again. So they were feeling invisible. Like I'm mean, feeling invincible. You know, like we were as young, their youth, we have to remember that these are teenagers fucking around, you know,
1: old so, ass teenagers though. Yeah. yeah, like, at, yeah. <laughs> like 26, 27 year old already. Almost 30 like, Alex, old. Alex looked like he had white hair literally. Shit, right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The face Malcolm too little, Adele. just age, you know, wrinkly. wrinkly, you could see it. But yeah, it's like that. It's, in this adversion therapy, it's like, what? what's better for somebody? What, what should somebody do? Should
1: And that's why the church was tripping out on that, too. And later on, they find out, like, yeah, they, um, the, the government was wrong, you know, in forcing Alex to do this because it gave away his right, his ethics, his choice. Another thing, too, I think most of this could have been avoided if, you know, according to kindergarten cop, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> quoting the, the famous kindergarten cop here. He lacked discipline. You lack discipline. He needed discipline in his house. His dad was so spineless. His mom was so spineless. He just needed a good whooping from his home. He lacked that structure mm-hmm. that you need from a parental figure. They let him roam around. Are you kidding me? My mom would never let me stay home. Um, she would wipe my, she would get my ass up, and I would go to school no matter how sick I felt. And you know that's just part of suck it up, dude. And he didn't have that. And I think if he had a little bit more structure, maybe he wouldn't have been as a delinquent, or maybe he wouldn't have been on that path as yeah. as skewed as, as it was.
0: No, I can totally see that. But at the same time too, sometimes people are just born a little sadistic too.
1: Yes, yes, they, they can be. They because
0: can be. And even though he does go through the conversion therapy, it looks like it's working right. Like these things do work, but how they like how do they really work? You know, like they stop you. Do we really need like controls like that? I don't know. I don't know. Well, don't let's
1: know. get to that scene then. So remember while he's doing the singing in the rain uh rape? So he actually gets beat up by his old friends Mm -hmm. and then he ends up back at that house. And he's like, oh my goodness, I hope he doesn't recognize me. And at first he doesn't, but he starts singing the Singing in the Rain song again. And that triggers the old man. And when I first saw it the first time in that first Singing in the Rain scene, I was just thinking of the trauma from the wife. And until like yesterday when I saw it, I was just, it was the trauma through the old man because everyone experienced a different type of trauma in that it just I never really clicked with me it's like oh yeah we're getting it now through the old man's perspective and he wants his vengeance and he wants to kill him he knows that as a result of the conditioning and the therapy that he went through like a uh, beethoven the ninth symphony is also like something that makes him really really sick
0: that yeah, was an inadvertent trigger while he was getting trained like watching images they had to put music yeah so he subconsciously linked the music as well which is his favorite song and that has to be like one of the worst tortures ever right like that your favorite song triggers you to get sick and you know i think he deserved it though of course he's a fucking horrible human being yeah you know like you said at the end when uh everybody deals with trauma differently right and like that was the writers he saw his wife get brutally raped and then i think it's implied that she committed suicide you know, so he dealt with that pain after. And, yeah, you, it, it shows you as well that uh, Kubrick is so good, giving, leaving the, like, black area too. What would you do? You know, what would you do if you saw someone you love brutally raped and then later on in life you saw the person who did it right in front of you? And what does this guy do? A writer who you seem might take the good, might forgive him? No, he does something just as fucking bad that Alex would do. He fucking drugs him, sleeps him. And puts them up in a roof where they're uh, just blasting where the they, song, mm-hmm, just torturing him. He, that's how he tortures them. And I love the way he looks because he, the writer, is under the the house. He's under, like in the basement, and uh, Alex is on the floor above. And he's just blasting the music, and you're hearing Alex yell like, "Stop the mute! You know, stop it! It's killing me! Stop!" And you just goes back, it pans back down, and you just see this writer. It has this like menacing smile of just.
1: He knows, he's like, he's suffering, I need mm-hmm. it, yes, and give you know, it to me. Do you remember, though, how, like, that whole scene, is a pretty famous scene where they're playing the, the, the Beethoven song, mm-hmm. but I forgot who it was, I think Dave, I think it was Dave. No, da- I remember Dave. when it was
0: from first to last. Yeah,
1: he did the emo song, yeah. so it's like each time that emo song was playing, he's like, ah, stop me! Like, and he, then he jumped out the window. <laughs> he jumped out the window, I always remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. So that's what happens with Alex then. He jumps off of the roof. He almost dies. And then everyone's like, oh man, this was actually really bad. Yeah. So the government's like, okay, let's just pretend you know everything's all back together and uh, we'll free you, okay? So it's just kind of like sweeping it under the rug, kind of, right? Yeah.
0: Well, the thing is, you love it too. And that's what I was talking about this ending is that you think Alex is, it kind of like reversed or like put him back to normal, you know? He's not quote unquote normal. Norm- yeah, quote unquote to where we've seen him at the beginning. And there's a little inkling, like, when you see his look, he's just staring there. Um, Alex is staring at the camera, and it kind of looks like the actor, Malcolm McDowell, gives, like, a little wink, saying, like, I am not changed. I'm going to take—this is my next con. You know, because he agrees with the— Well, what's
1: that final scene, dude? They're in the snow, and he's, like, having sex with that blonde woman in front of
0: everyone. I was cured, all right. It was said. All of that was said. It didn't need that extra last scene of— showing like for sure telling you like oh he's not cured because like you said mowgli just brought up like right after the look i give you like i'm talking about it just cuts to the people fucking in the snow him fucking in the snow just watching it and all these people around like watching it delightful so you know he didn't change but i just felt like malcolm McDowell said it all that with his face it could have been done right there at the end so how do you feel
1: about alex now how did you feel about alex then and how do you feel about alex now
0: okay As young, like we were saying, I was with it. You know, we're all with that violence, having fun, doing stupid shit, feeling invincible. Now that I'm older, I used to love the first part of the movie a lot. But now the second part is kind of like my favorite. I kind of like all seeing that karmic backhand again, you know. So we've seen him beat up a bum, rape, kill And then we've seen all those people as well come back into his life when he thinks he's reformed, when society thinks he's reformed. But the universe doesn't. The universe doesn't. The universe never forgets. You know, so he gets a taste of his own. The universe always pays its debts. (laughs) (laughs) No, but for real. Shout out to Game of Thrones. And he he gets he has to pay his debts, you know? He has no choice and especially with the The, you know, the therapy of shutting him down when violence happens, like the only way he's going to be repay like get the karmic backlash is with violence, you know, because he gave so much violence out to society. He has to receive the same amount back. So is this an eye for an eye? I feel like a karm Yeah. Cosmic one. Like you said, it's a, a cosmic eye for an eye. He had to be beat. But at the same time, at the end, I love it because what I just said, like he hadn't changed really. You know, he has this fucking smile. I see this little smile, this little smirk he has, and it's like, this character hasn't changed, but... I don't. I feel like the second half of the story is just a different tonal change. I love the architecture change. The... I
1: didn't even like exactly cinematography yeah. wise. We didn't even cover that. It just couldn't. more of the story. Yeah, this that, is already way too long. We didn't even you, talk about Stanley Kubrick's legacy,
0: guys. If we want, we could. Every little thing we talked about is at least an hour conversation in this. Yeah, you know, we're trying to break it's. It's hard to break everything down that we want to talk in about this, in this time frame, know?
1: for sure. For sure. Just one more thing before we wrap. I guess I agree. I, I had a very impressionable early on watching this and I still am, am impressed just on another level just like the level of nuance and the detail in the writing and just just the whole full circle and just how he can be reformed not really reformed yeah that all sticks out to me dude so I appreciate it differently now that I'm older same exactly. I hate I same. hate Alex though I do he's a little he's a little prick but at the same <laughs> yeah, time oh. I'll give him a pass because he's supposed to be a young dude yeah so he's in like, his
0: he, teens and yeah. you, know, you got to give him a pass for that
1: yeah <laughs> but we this was a really cool episode we had a lot of fun doing it we wanted to just uh, pay our respect to a classic film that is celebrating, what, a 50th anniversary 50th coming up? 50th
0: anniversary, man. We're still talking about this movie. We're still movie. talking
1: about this movie. So, you know, that's the that's the lasting impression of movies when they're done right. You know? and, or even if they're not done right. Whatever it is, like, like the same thing. Whatever reaction it... it releases in you yeah, and you're this, still talking about it
0: and this is the one thing that people forget about film like we were talking about earlier is like it's an experience film cinema is an experience this movie is an experience i honestly recommend it to all of you of age at least 15 i would say to like watch it you know and uh, there's going to be a lot of images and disturbing things coming up but i say reserve your reactions and think about it and then at the end have a discussion mm-hmm
1: Yes, and that's going to conclude today's episode of Movies We Were Way Too Young to See. We hope you had a blast listening. We had a very, very insightful—I think this was our most insightful <laughs> episode, right? We actually kind of—I felt like we went a little deeper today. We
0: And I felt we could have gone more deeper. It's just we have such a short time frame, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. We want to keep you guys engaged and not bored too much. But thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe to
1: wherever you guys listen to your podcast. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate us five stars questions comments or anything like that feel free to email us at and at gmail.com one more thing don't forget to follow us on social media at malv underscore n underscore Mowgli. stay tuned we got a lot more planned for 2021 see you next time